0: Pray for me. I told Brother Tim. I begged him if he would preach because I just have felt felt very dry this week. I know Brother Tim. I guess is the only other preacher in here. But sometimes you have moments where you're about to explode with the Spirit. You feel like, and then you have other moments where you just feel extremely dry. And maybe those are the moments that were the most dependent on the Lord. I think the Lord showed Himself the clearest throughout the Scriptures when He eliminated any possibility that may it could have been caused by man and so sometimes when i feel the driest i hope uh, that the lord will shine the brightest and i'll just kind of get out of the way but i did have a few things on my mind as, as i studied this week some and you, know, you look around the world right now and uh, i guess one of the words that i think about a lot is unrest it just seems like there's a, a lot of unrest and and i'll say this uh, i mentioned this last sunday over in mississippi you know, while, while there is a great deal of unrest and there are a, a lot of wicked people out in the world and there are a lot of wicked people doing wicked things, I don't believe that there is as much wickedness out there maybe as the media would like us to believe. I know it's out there. But I believe there are good, God-fearing children of God scattered all across America that are living quiet and peaceable lives that are raising their family. You just don't see them scattered all across the front page of the news. But I believe there are many, many people like that out there. So sometimes what we see and what we hear may not quite be a represent representation of what uh, is, is out there in the majority, uh, even though I know that, that there's wickedness out there. But there there is some unrest out there, is there not? There's been unrest in, in the minds of children of God. There have been unrest in the lives of children of God. And and that's something that we kind of all deal with. So. Thinking along those lines, I'm not here to preach to you about unrest, but I want to preach to you about rest, because I think rest is a place that a lot of God's people need to get to. And the question that I might try to answer tonight is how do I get to a place of rest? And it may not be the answer that you're quite thinking about. But I want to go back to Genesis, the second chapter for just a second. The definition of the word rest, um, not always in the Bible, but but a good bit, a good many times in the Bible. The definition of rest is to make quiet, to be still or to lead to lead to a quiet abode or a place, a home to to uh, to go into a place of quietness, a place of stillness. And um, that's a comforting place for a child of God to be. So when you think about rest, it's not necessarily like I just ran two miles and I need to rest and regain my energy. Now, that is a form of rest. But the rest that I'm talking about is just getting to a place of stillness and a place of quietness. Now, that does not necessarily mean that your circumstances change. But it's the feeling that you have maybe in the midst of those circumstances. Like uh, if you think about... um, The time that the apostles and Jesus, they were out on the tempestuous sea and, you know, the boat's rocking and they are afraid for their life. Well, Jesus is in the exact same boat. But where do you find him? You find him asleep, right? You find a a, a beautiful picture of stillness and quietness in the midst of a storm. That's the kind of rest that I'm looking for. I'm not trying to get us to the point where we can eliminate all of the circumstances that would bring us unrest. I'm trying to look biblically maybe at how we get to a point of rest in the midst of circumstances that that aren't really conducive to rest. So rest is something that you find from the very, very beginning of creation. We know in Genesis, the first chapter and the second chapter, we read about the Lord creating And in Genesis, the second chapter says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had made. And what did he do? It says, And he rested on the seventh day from all his work, which he had made. Now, God was not tired. He was not fatigued. He was not over there with a sweating brow saying, man, this just took all the energy I had. I've got to take a day off before I ever create any other thing. Obviously, the Lord was not fatigued. He was not exhausted from energy. But what He did in that seventh day was that the Lord was still and the Lord was quiet And the Lord is what the Bible says was at a place of rest. Are you with me now? I hope that that makes some sense. It's not a recovering from a loss of energy. It's a a state of mind where we're just still and calm and peaceful. And so that's what God the Father did here is when he created, he rested. Instead of saying, okay, here come the seas and here comes the land and here comes man and here comes woman, here come animals, here come trees and all that kind of stuff. He was just there and he was peaceful and he was still. So it is a quality, it is a attribute of God to just be still and quiet. And sometimes I'm not talking necessarily physically be still and quiet, which I think that's good for us too. But I'm talking about mentally just to be still and quiet. That is an attribute of God because we see it in the very beginning. You think about um, about Christ, you know, the Lord, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ came. And if you look at the the work that he did, you know, in in Genesis, the second chapter, we've got a record of six days of creation. And then the seventh day there was rest. So there was a labor that preceded rest. Now I want you to think about Christ. Was there not a labor in his life when he came and took on flesh? Well, sure, there was, a, there was a labor. You know, for 33 some odd years, you know, Christ came and he labored teaching, did he not? And that, that is a labor. If you've ever sat down, I mean, whether it's spiritual things or not, you know, my brother and my mother both were teachers. And I can attest to you that they would come home sometimes tired because teaching is a labor. And even for, for, uh, for myself and for Tiffany, as we teach our children, that's a work. That's a tedious thing to do sometimes. So not only did the Lord in his humanity, uh, did he labor in the sense that he was teaching people. He labored in the sense that um, he had to go toe to toe with wicked men and, and deal with them. And as they tried to take his life, he labored in his and again, in his humanity as they beat him. And as they put a crown of thorns on him, and as they crucified him, that's a work, that's a labor. Can you imagine what his physical body was feeling like? So all the time that, that Jesus Christ was here in his ministry, he was he was laboring. You know, when I, I picture, uh, uh, you know, when he's. When he's on his knees and, he, and he's praying in the garden and, and he's, you know, the Bible says, I believe that he would, he sweat as it were drops of blood. It was, he, it was almost like he was sweating blood is what the Bible was saying. And he's in some, you know, some form of agony and torment as he's crying out to the father saying, you know, I'll take on your wrath for all eternity if it is necessary to redeem these people. But if it's your will, Lord, let that cup pass from me. Only let me taste of that wrath for a little while. And let that be enough to satisfy you. But if it's not enough, I'll take it for all eternity. That's quite the Savior, is it not? That's a work right there. That's a labor. But then the Bible tells us in Hebrews, the first chapter, it says, when he had by himself purged our sins. What does it say he did? He sat down by the right hand of the majesty on high. Do you see that picture there? All this work and labor that the Lord had done. And then as he said in John, the 17th chapter, I have come and I've done the work that you gave me to do. As he hangs on the cross, he says it is finished. The work and the labor is finished. And then what did he do? He sat down, which is a picture of what rest. So God, the father labored and then he rested. Christ labored and then he rested. And what I want to try to show you through a couple of other, exa- other examples tonight, sometimes in order for us to get to a place where we can have a stillness and a quietness, there is some labor and work that needs to be done. Okay? Now, let's go to Genesis, the fifth chapter for just a second. We were talking with the kids the other night uh, during our little family time there about Noah a good bit. and It kind of got my wheels turning along these lines. In Genesis, the fifth chapter in the verse 29, it talks about a man named Lamech who had a son named Noah saying this, and he called his name Noah saying, this this same shall comfort us concerning our work and toll of our hands. The name Noah actually means rest. Isn't that interesting? The name Noah actually means rest. Now, when we think about Noah, there is some, and Brother Tim, I could elaborate more on this sometime. You know, there's a little bit of um, uh, couple different viewpoints about the time of noah whether it had rained or whether it had not rained in the time of noah you know i really don't know i suspect maybe it probably had rained we know that there was there was a time in the garden when it had not rained but the bible does not specifically say it had not rained in the time of noah but there are some things that indicate that maybe it had not i don't really know but in the time of noah in the sixth chapter what you read here is the world is wicked it says um It says, and God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's the world that uh, that Noah and his family lived in. So in their time, whatever you see, you know, the statement I made earlier is that I believe in the nooks and crannies of America. There are some solid God fearing people. Noah could not say that. Noah could say, it is only evil continually. And the Lord said, there's a man and his wife and his three sons and their wives. They're the ones that I'm going to make a covenant with to to save in this ark. And so Noah couldn't say, man, there's a lot of good people around this earth. Because there wasn't. It was a terrible, terrible time. So in the midst of all this, the Lord comes to Noah and he says, Noah, I want you to do something for me. I want you to build an ark. And I want you to build this ark a certain way. And it's going to be a, you know, a humongous um, structure. Some of y'all have been to the, um, I can't think of the name of it. Maybe it's called the ark. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, Where's that at? uh, Near Cincinnati. Cincinnati. And it's, from what I understand, it's pretty much a life-size ark. And I haven't seen it, but some of y'all have. and, And I've heard that it's just enormous. So the Lord comes to Noah and says, hey, I want you to build this enormous ship. This enormous uh, ark. And so can you imagine when Noah goes to his wife and says, "Um, we've got some stuff we need to be doing. And then he goes to his son and says, listen, I've got some instructions from the Lord. This is what we need to be doing. I want you to think how you would respond to that. Like, say that again. What now, Noah? Now, I know you can say probably at least the Bible says in Hebrews 11, Noah being warned of things not seen as yet. Maybe that's referring to rain. Maybe that's referring to just a a lot of flooding. But there was something about this account with Noah that had never happened before. And so Noah is telling his wife and he's telling his sons. And this is not like, let's go get some wood together and let's make us a little canoe. This is a massive thing. And so for a long period of time, they would go out, not to Lowe's, not to Home Depot. They would go out and they would cut down the lumber. And they would plane the lumber down and they would get it ready. They didn't have a DeWalt drill to drill the holes. They didn't have all these things. They had some probably very makeshift tools. And they labored and they labored and they labored building this ark. And, you know, his sons were probably a little bit older at this point. But I just think of it from my own perspective. How difficult as a father and as a husband that might have been maybe seeing the anguish on your wife's face because i'm sure that she did more than just bring him water occasionally she probably pitched in and helped to see the anguish on her face of i am so hot and we've been working at this for six months and it looks like we have done nothing and his son's coming along saying oh i'd i'd so much rather go be with my family with my wife You know, but here I am again, driving these pegs into this wood over and over and putting the pitch all over the ark. You know, if they had the same nature that we had, they didn't go about that joyfully singing and whistling as they built that ark because it was a long period of time. And maybe there were some days that there was some animosity between them like, Noah, are you sure that the Lord told you this? Are you sure that he told you to build it to these dimensions? And there was probably some fussing in in their family. There probably would have been mine because that's just how we are. That's our human nature. But I wonder when they were all sitting around and maybe it started to rain. And then it started to rain a little bit more. I wonder if they sat there and started looking at each other a little bit. And then the Bible says the great fountains of the deep were opened up. And I don't know exactly how that flood played out. But I picture water coming from everywhere. The ground, the sky, and as that began to, to, um, to fill up the earth and they've got the animals on, I, I can just picture the look on that, their faces as they look at one another. And all the arguing and all of that, I imagine, vanished. And I imagine when they went into that ark and the Lord, the Bible says the Lord closed the door, I can just picture them just embracing one another and holding one another. And they sat there for a little bit, probably talking like, well, this is it. You know, this is it. This is what all this time is prepared for. Uh, This is all the things that we've been doing is for this moment. I imagine they sat there and you can feel it. You can feel it when that last little drop of water fell or or came up out of the ground enough to pick that boat up. And now all of a sudden they're they're real solid and all of a sudden they feel the boat pick up. And they had to think how much water has got to be out there. To pick this thing up. And the Bible says it rained for 40 days and 40 nights. But the Bible also tells us that the water, after it quit raining, the water continued to rise. So what did Noah and his family do? For a while there, they're looking out the windows. And uh, contrary to what um, a lot of these Bible stories will tell you, Noah did not stand at the door of the ark preaching, come in, come in, come in. The Bible is explicitly clear. That ark was made for eight people and eight people only. There was not an open invitation to that ark. It was for eight people and eight people only. He said, I will make a covenant with you and with your wife and with your three sons and with their wives. That's eight people. Now, but as the ark began to come up, I'm sure that they opened the windows, maybe were able to look out and they saw land get you know less visible and less visible and less visible. They probably saw like ants do. They're all crawling up to the high, high spots. You know, uh, we live obviously right up the road here, and when the Sepsi River floods down in here, we see a ton of animals on this road because they're getting away from the, from the low ground. Well, I want you to imagine Noah and his family looking out, and they see a peak out there, and it's just got a mass of people on it as the water's rise. And the more the waters rise, the more people get swept away, and there's fewer and fewer people. And eventually, they can see no land, none whatsoever. And the storms stop. And for a period of about, uh, what the from from what I could gather studying, it's a period of about a year. They basically are on a cruise. You ever thought about that? They're basically on a cruise. They're out there in the middle. They've got all the food they need. They've got every, all the supplies they need because the Lord has instructed them on what to do. And they're just peacefully floating out on a world that's been taken over by a flood. Now, I know there were some horrors to that. There were some horrors watching those people um, you know, get the, the wrath of God poured upon them. I know there were some horrors with that. But for Noah and his family, there was a long period of time as they sat on that ark that is a picture of rest. They labored, did they not? Building that ark, they labored and labored and labored and labored, but that labor led to a rest. And for a long time, they sit on that ark. And, and there's, the lessons that we tried to go over with, my, with our family the other day, I, I told our kids, I said, you know, I said a lot of times what mom and dad tell you may not make a lot of sense to you. And it may be that you look at what we're telling you and what we're instructing you to do, and you may think it is utter foolishness. And it may cause a little rift between us at times. And it may cause a wedge between us at times. And you may look at us a little bit, you know, funny sometimes thinking, oh, I can't believe we're having to do it, and do it this way. I said, but eventually you're going to hear the pitter patter of that rain. And you're going to look at us differently. Because you're going to see, had I not followed the instructions of my father and mother, then I'd be swept away by this, swept away by this flood that's coming. Right. But for those that are able to listen to that instruction, when the pitter-patter of that rain comes and the flood begins to increase, the end result of that is peace. Amen. Right? And is rest. Noah yeah. and his family experienced rest, rest. It's kind of like the verse that says... Um, And I can't quote it exactly. No chastisement at the present seemed joyous, but grievous. But in the end, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You know what what the end result of taking a child in love and using the rod of correction is? Rest and peace. But sometimes it's difficult getting there, right? It's not something that we enjoy doing. I'm sure Noah didn't enjoy building that ark. I'm sure that the Lord probably didn't enjoy having to go toe-to-toe with these wicked men and suffer at the hands of wicked men when, when he could have just spoken and destroyed them all. You know, I, I mentioned this last Sunday. You know, the Bible, when they're in the garden, before Jesus arrest and, and they come to take him, and Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts off the, the uh, high priest's servant's ear. And Jesus says to him, put your sword up. He says, don't you know that I could call on my Father and he would send more than 12 legions of angels. All right, well, if you do some math on that, depending on what time period you look up, on average, a legion was about 5,000 people. All right? And Jesus says I could, he would send more than, so I, I'm going to say a minimum of 12 people, I mean a minimum, a minimum of 12 legions at 5,000 each. And we know from the Bible that one angel can at least kill 185,000. That comes out to 11 billion people. That if the Lord spoke it, that tells me not a soul could stand. He has got enough power in just the requesting of his father to destroy everybody if he saw fit. So don't you know a Lord that is that powerful? It was difficult for him to suffer at the hands of wicked men. But yet he did and he labored and he sat down when it was all finished. So Noah labors and the end result of his labor is he rests. Now, what about the Israelites when they get to the when they get to the edge of the promised land? If you remember the account, they send spies into the promised land And they go, I believe there's 12 spies into the promised land. They come back and they say it's a land, it surely is a land flowing of milk and honey. And he said, they say, but there are giants there and there's no way that we can overtake them. God has miraculously delivered us from Egypt. We have traveled through this wilderness. We've seen him do mighty things for us. And now we're at this edge of this Jordan River, fixing to cross over to the promised land, and he has led us to our doom. That's what 10 of them say. And they go back and they spread fear through the community, except except for Joshua and Caleb. And they say, no, we can do this. Why can we do this? Because I've seen what the Lord can do. And he's told us he's going to fight for us. So there are two out of the 10 that said we can do this. But 10 of them said we couldn't. Well, what was the end result of them not getting to go into that promised land? It was forty more years in the wilderness, was it not? Now, if you read over in Hebrews the the read the third chapter sometime, but I want to read a little bit to you in the fourth chapter. It says in uh, well, let's say Hebrews three seventeen. It says, "But with whom was he grieved forty years? Was it not with them that had sinned, whose carcasses fell in the wilderness, and to whom swear he that they should not enter into his what rest? But to them that believe not, so we see." That they could not enter in because of unbelief. It says, let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest. Any of you should seem to come short of it. And he goes on here. And the end result of this is this. It says, there, there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God. For he that has entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. I believe that's speaking of Christ himself. It says, for he that is entered into his rest... He also hath ceased from his own works. Remember why? Because he sat down. As God did from his. So it's saying God has God has rested. You remember we talked about that. in Genesis second, the second chapter. God has rested. So also has Christ rested. So let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You know what happened to the people, uh, the Israelites there at at Kadesh Barnea, right before they crossed the Jordan River? They did not enter into rest. Noah entered into rest because he labored. But the children of God here did not enter into rest because of their unbelief. And so the Bible says here, don't let us be like those people. We need to do what in order to get to that point of rest? We need to labor. It says, let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. So what I've tried to show you here for a little bit is this quietness, this stillness, this peacefulness that we're looking for usually follows after laboring. Are you with me now? Let's look at some examples that we can relate to. God's people need to be laboring in gospel study. Are you with me on that? The Bible says to study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed rightly dividing the word of truth. God's people should be studying God's word. And I can tell you from a personal experience. And I know many of y'all could too. From a personal experience. When I first came to the Primitive Baptist Church. I did not realize how much I did not know about the Word of God. I'm not saying that I, was not, that I did not love the Lord. I'm not saying that I wasn't sincere. I'm not saying that I was not spiritual and faithful. But I did not know the Word of God, even though I had sat in church most all of my life. Brother Jim and I were talking before church this morning that a lot of times children of God are victims of the modern-day church. Because they are brought up feeling like they are exactly where they need to be spiritually, yet they have no real knowledge of the Word of God. That's a sad tragedy, and I can speak from experience, that was me. That's to my shame and my fault, all right, for not digging deeper in the Word of God. But when I came to the Primitive Baptist Church, and I'll admit to you before I came to the Primitive Baptist Church, you know what I did? I struggled. And I wrestled. I don't understand how this goes with this, and how this makes harmonizes with that. I struggled with the Word of God to the point. Sometimes I would just—I was at more peace, at least I thought—to just not fool with it. Just put it down and don't fool with it. Because the more I start fooling with it, the more uh, frustrated I get. The more unrest I feel. So when I came to the Primitive Baptist Church, and I realized how much I didn't know. I began and I started reading through the Bible and my uh, my routine for probably two years was I would read three or four chapters of the Bible. I would usually listen to uh, one sermon and then I would just do some study on my own. And, you know, if you were to come back and looked in my office at times, it looked like a mad scientist. Back there. I mean, I had notes and it's like I was trying to figure out, you know, who done it and had it was just I was just soaking it up and craving it. You know what I was doing? The Bible says much study is a weariness of the flesh. I was laboring. But you know what the end result of me laboring in God's word was rest. It was rest. Because I can pick this Bible up now and I don't have to get to John 3.16 and slam on the brakes and say, oh my goodness, I am better put it down because I can't deal with that. Or 2 Peter 3.9. I don't have to get that and slam on the brakes. I have got a great peace. I feel like Noah just floating, floating in the ark across a flooded world, knowing that his labor brought him to a point where he could rest. So we need to be laboring in the word of God, right? We need to be laboring in our relationships, most certainly. Laboring in our relationships. You know, I think sometimes about... This is the sad truth of it. You know, not every husband is in love with his wife. And not every wife is in love with her husband. And not every child admires their father and mother. And not every mother and father sees their child as a blessing. That's just the sad truth of it all. We need to be laboring in our relationships so we do not become like that. I think about the prodigal son. You know, that's, that was way back, way back when, the, the parable of that. But think if the prodigal son was today. Back then, the prodigal son would have left and the last contact that that father would have had with his son was maybe a hug and a kiss on the cheek. And as he walked down the road, that, that's the last I'm seeing of him. And the next time he saw him was when he was coming back. Right. All right, I want you to think about the, the, the anguish that that father must have felt for however long a period of time that was. It was long enough for him to go into a far country, not on a speedboat either, so it was long enough for him to go into a far country and it was long enough for him to spend a lot of money and do a lot of things. So I expect it was at least months. Yeah. It may have been years. Right. So for a long period of time here, don't you know that father wondered, where is my son? What is he doing? And don't you know that front father, if he was a godly father, probably stayed on his knees praying. But in today's time, That would play out a little bit differently. Because they would probably be texting pretty constant. Yeah, you know, I'm good, Pop. I'm doing fine. You know, I'm over here in this far country, but I'm doing good. Don't worry about me. And they'd be back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. Probably texting or emailing or calling or FaceTiming or or whatever. But back then, they didn't have that. So that father probably labored at the throne of grace. For his son. And then when that son comes back up that driveway. And they embrace again. What do you think that father felt? I think he felt rest. I think he felt a quietness. And a peacefulness. When that boy came back. But until that boy came back. I think he felt probably a great deal of labor. Don't you think? He probably felt like he was building an ark. But the time came when peace and rest came to him we need to be laboring in god's word we need to be laboring in our relationships we need to be reaching out to people and and as the bible says exhort one another daily exhort means to bring to one side once you get them to your side there's a whole lot of things to do sometimes you can just encourage them sometimes you can just say a kind word sometimes somebody may need to hit somebody might need help in some other way but we ought to be exhorting one another daily, just like my eyeballs lay, hand, lay, lay, its, lay their vision on my hand every day because they're part of the same body. We ought to also be laboring with the other members of the body of Christ and daily laboring in those relationships. And sometimes it's going to be hard. Sometimes you're going to be that prodigal son's father down there laboring in prayer. But what's the end result of labor? It's rest. Yes. Amen. You know, Hannah labored in prayer, did she not? Hannah labored in prayer. Yes. She labored and she labored and she labored. And they said, this woman's drunk. She's crazy. She's out of her mind. And she labored and petitioned the throne of grace. But when that baby boy, Samuel, I believe it was, was laid in her arms and she held that baby to her bosom, what do you think she felt? She probably felt a, a good bit of quietness and stillness and peace. We need to be laboring with our families. You say, well, I don't have a husband. I don't have a wife. You are part of a family. You may be a son. You may be a daughter. You may be a mother. You are part of a family. If nothing else, you're part of the family of God. Amen. And we need to be laboring with our families. And I think oftentimes about my own all terrible inadequacies as a father. And I've said this to you before. You know, sometimes it's hard to come up with something and package it in such a way that my young children will understand it so I can give it to them while we're sitting over supper. Sometimes I don't have the energy at the end of the day to to maybe pick up a Bible book and read them a Bible story. You know why? Because it's hard because I'm tired and it's a labor. It's a labor to invest into my children. You know, what, is, what does Paul say? I will gladly spend and be spent for you. That ought to be the attitude of every single child of God. Amen. Whether it's a family, uh, whether it's a church member, that's your brother or sister in Christ, or whether it's your own, fa- uh, own, own family members, to have the attitude, I will gladly spend and be spent for you, And I will labor with you and labor with you and labor with you. And I don't have grown children. I don't. I I pray that I will one day if the Lord tarries and they stay healthy and uh, the Lord protects them. I don't have grown children. But my prayer is this. That all the labor that Tiffany and I are putting into our family. That one day when the pitter patter drops of the floods of this earth come. That even if they're in the midst of that flood there will be rest. Like Jesus laying in the, the, the head of that boat, asleep. So while I labor and while Tiffany labors now with our family, and it does make us weary and tired at times, the end result, if the Lord tarries, and I'm an old man with gray head, a gray head one day, that I can look at my children and say, there's rest. And you don't believe how much a wayward child can destroy a family? Read through Proverbs. Read through Proverbs of the effect a wayward, foolish son or daughter has on a family. It's not good. So labor with your family now so that you can have rest later. Are you with me? Now, I hope that the Lord has somewhat, even maybe in the least little bit, blessed the message tonight but there's no doubt that a great wonderful there is a great and wonderful place of rest that God has made for his people we follow his example in creation we follow Christ's example in his work on this earth we can follow Noah's example we can follow many examples in the Bible so there are times in our life where we're in a season of labor don't get weary in your well-doing Because the end result of that labor is a great peacefulness and quietness.